Welcome to the January 31st sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, and the sermon is entitled, In the Midst of the Storm, delivered today by Pastor Clyde Moyer. I think it'd be an understatement to say, well, we've had quite a year. Politically, this past year has probably been the most contentious since the Civil War. And then there's the pandemic, which could probably be best described as confusion. No one really seems to have enough solid factual data to give us clear direction as to what we should do. Instead of facts, the media seems to be made up of spin doctors who have ulterior motives. Our government is far more concerned with getting power than with caring for the people. And Facebook and Twitter have become so large and wealthy that they have the power to control what we can and can't see online. Our Constitution was written based on Christian principles and was always intended to be governed by people of character, integrity, and high morals, and therefore will not be supported or understood by an unchristian society. We are most certainly in a post-Christian era in the United States and some are beginning to label our times post-constitutional, which is frightening. However, we are not to be dismayed at the storm because God is still on his throne, he is still in control, and none of this caught God unprepared. What has happened is very simply we have followed in Israel's footsteps in disobedience to the Lord. Proverbs 14 says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. God promised Israel that if they followed him that, and, and walked closely with him, he would, work, would bless them. But if they followed him by leaving him and going in different directions, he would punish them severely. Deuteronomy says, Behold, I have set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord. But turn aside out of the way which I command you to go after other gods which ye have not done, which is what we have done. God always keeps his word, and there has never been a nation that disobeyed God as much as we have and escaped punishment. We are in a storm of our own choosing, and we are reaping what we have sown. Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27 say, And when he was entered into a boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus has just finished giving a series of sermons to great crowds of people. One of the audiences was so great that he had to stand in a boat just a little offshore in order for the people to both hear him and see him. Remember that Jesus was fully human as well as fully God, and he'd been ministering and speaking to great numbers of people for a long time. He must have been exhausted. So after he gave the command for the disciples to sail the boat across the Sea of Galilee, he fell asleep on a cushion. While he's sleeping, a storm arose. This isn't unusual because of how the Sea of Galilee is situated. 
It is in a low-lying rift of a valley surrounded by hills. And because of that, the sea can have sudden violent storms. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is notorious for the violent waves stirred up by west winds funneling through the hills around it. As the storm increase, is increasing in intensity, I'm sure the disciples were more and more anxious and afraid for themselves. At some point, the storm became so dangerous that great waves were literally breaking over the ship and the disciples were at risk of being washed overboard and drowned or capsizing the ship. And in their despair, they woke up the Lord. I think, sadly, it's very revealing that they didn't ask Jesus for help when they woke him up, which would have demonstrated faith in him. What they did was immediately accuse him of sleeping and not caring about them. Typical human behavior. Doubt, fear, and a feeling of betrayal seems to have been in the disciples' minds. He simply said to their question and their accusations, O ye of little faith, why were you afraid? Then he rebuked the storm, and instantaneously there was calm. I think possibly for the very first time, the disciples began to have a clear picture of who it was they were following. Not only a man that spoke great words and performed miracles of healing, but a man that even nature paid attention to. What are the lessons here out of this for people in the storm? First, if Jesus tells us to do it, that should end any discussion or debate that we might have. The outcome of our obedience isn't really any of our business because only the Lord understands why he's telling us to do what he's telling us. We must go to scripture. We must filter every thought, every decision, every action through the filter of scripture and follow what it says as closely as possible. In our recent situation, if we voted for biblical values and worked hard to get them passed, and if we've done everything we feel that the Lord led us to do in order to keep people safe from the pandemic, I would suggest that the outcome is God's business even if we don't understand it, and I don't. I feel sure the disciples had no idea why Jesus would lead them into a storm, but the fact remains, he did. God's purposes are rarely clear further ahead of us than the very next step. Faith is exercised when we take each step not knowing where it is leading or even understanding it. That's the first point. Secondly, Jesus was not asleep in the boat because he didn't care what happened to his disciples. Even while he was sleeping, he was demonstrating a very powerful scriptural principle. The peace of God that passes all understanding does not come from the lack of storms. It comes from total trust and faith in the Lord in the middle of the storms. Jesus could sleep because he knew and trusted his father. And he wanted the disciples to have that same trust in him. I think we could suggest they failed the test. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no love, fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And then third, there is nothing more powerful than God. He is the, is the Lord, not the storm. Psalm 43, the psalmist says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I know these are difficult times. I know they are confusing and indescribable times. We've never been here before. But I want us to be encouraged in the middle of it. Not because of the circumstances should we be encouraged, but we should be encouraged because of who's in control of the circumstances. As human beings, we tend to view the severity of a situation by our ability to change it, but we should be viewing it by God's ability to change it. I am not sitting around thinking, woe is our church. Either God will deliver us and we shall come through the refining process as gold, or if this is indeed the opening act of the end, then our salvation is closer than we first believed. That's a win-win. We should be looking up, excited to see how God's going to work this out. Pastor Jeffrey, before he preaches every single time, says, did you come expecting to gay? We should approach every problem in our life expecting and excited to see how God's going to take care of this one. Has he going to fix this one? Uh, he, he constantly surprises us and lifts us up with unexpected, unexplainable deliverances, but we have to be expecting them. I wonder if many people's dismay and concern doesn't come from a misconception of God. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite pre preachers of the past, said a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. Whatever comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Tozer is saying if we believe God loves us, is, an all, is all powerful and in control of everything, we're going to react with expectant faith in hard times and not slip into the temptation of contentious despair. In the Bible, a person's name was a literal definition of who they were. For example, Jacob meant deceiver. And we know that was Jacob's character for a good while. Esau means red, and he was a red and hairy man. Do we wonder who our God really is? We'll check out some of his names. Elroy, the God who sees. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And Elohim, the strong and faithful one. My point is, the times and the situations in which we find ourselves do not define us. The God we serve defines us, and he has not been surprised at the election results, the pandemic, the moral decline in our country, or the socialist agenda of the left. He is in control, and any unchristian power that seems to be in charge momentarily is there only by God's permission for his purposes whether they realize it or not. And you can see that throughout the Bible over and over. As Christians, we are in a time that the military might call a target-rich environment. We can complain and feel sorry for ourselves, or we can reach out with the gospel to the lost world around us, and we have plenty of lost around us to reach out to. Let's find them. Let's live before them like Christ would have us do. Let's treat them with love, but stand firm on the presentation of the gospel. They will accept it based on the love they see from us, if they see it. We live in a country that has become one of the most difficult mission fields in the world. We have been so blessed for so long that people believe that they are self-sufficient 
and accomplished all on their own. We call it entitlement. They believe they are blessed because they earned it and therefore they deserve it, which is both idolatry and blasphemy. I would suggest that precisely because our country has declined spiritually, we have a tremendous opportunity to show them who Christ is by our lives, our love, and our actions. In the 16th chapter of John, Jesus says about times like these, these things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogue. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. The point being that we don't have to be afraid. We can stand assured that the one who created everything, the omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God, not only knew this time would come, but has already prepared the path through it for us and the victory over it with us. We should be walking in the joy of our salvation and not focusing on the fallen world around us. There is a, a Christian contemporary singer named Carmen from the past that I very much enjoy and the lyrics of one of his songs comes to my mind every time I see it looks like Satan's beginning to get a hold in this world. And they go like this, when problems try to bury you and make it hard to pray, it may seem like Friday night, but Sunday's on the way. Folks, Sunday's on the way. My salvation is nearer than when I believe. Why aren't we acting like it? Be encouraged. God has got this. Our calling is spiritual. And that rises far above earthly politics, pandemics, or problems of any kind. To walk in joy regardless of the situation will require that we do it God's way. And we find in our manual of life, the Bible, Philippians chapter 4, uh, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. In today's world, that may seem an impossible way to think. But in a few verses later, Paul tells us how to do it. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Our first reactions to such words might be, that we're just simply ignoring reality if we think that way. But that's not the truth. Scripture doesn't teach us to only be joyful and praise God when stuff is happening well for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. All circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. We are instructed and even commanded to walk in praise, walk in faith, and walk in thanksgiving with the Lord in every circumstance of our life, whether it appears good, bad, or otherwise. We are to be known for our love. 
We should be easy to pick out from the crowd because of their positive and joyful attitude, regardless of what is happening. And again, I would say, be encouraged. God's got this. His arm is not shortened that he cannot deliver us. Lay down the weight of fear, the weight of worry and frustration, and place it in the hands of the one who's always known the end from the beginning. Of course we have the responsibility to stand firm in whatever, the, in whatever way the Lord leads. But we need to remember whose battle it is and make sure we're following his leading. And we are required to stand firm in a way that is pleasing to him, not in a way that is pleasing to us. Allow me to give you a personal example as an, as an analogy of how we should view our situation. One of my most favorite things to do is ride my motorcycle. Because of the noise and the attention that's required, you have to focus on doing it and you can't be thinking of anything else or you're gonna have a little road rash as a result of that. You have to pay attention. There's freedom and I love riding the winding roads of the Blue Ridge Parkway. One of the very first lessons I had to learn as in riding a motorcycle, my brother taught me this, is you can't look at the ground directly in front of your front tire to make sure you're going right. If you do that, you will wreck almost immediately. And that's because you're focused where you are instead of where you're going. Does anybody see any similarity to how we act sometimes in the church? What we have to do is look ahead of us through the coming turn so that our eyes are focused on where we will be and not where we are. If we look our way through the twists and turns of the road, we will keep the bike in proper position to the highway. Works the same way in life. If we keep our eyes focused on the current situation, the problems, the negatives around us, the frustrations and the disappointments, and there are many of those, we can be so focused on where we are that we're not prepared to be where we're going. And God needs us to look ahead and to be happy and faithful and joyful because of what's coming, not because of what is. We should be lifting our voices in praise to God in faith for what he is going to do, not might do, not possibly could do, what is certainty, and it's already written in the history that we haven't seen yet. We should be lifting our voices to praise him. And if we really believe that, then our countenance, our attitude, and our actions will indicate that. A real-world example of how terrible circumstances can be faced with joy and very much of thanksgiving is found in the story of Kari Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, who were imprisoned in a German concentration camp, in fact, Ravensbrück, during World War II. Kari, Betsy, and their father were arrested by the German army for hiding Jews and helping smuggle them out of Holland. Kari and Betsy were placed in a barracks, which was a massive square platform, stacked three levels high, placed so close together that people had to walk single file to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered over the platform, which housed hundreds of women. The vertical distance between one level and the next was so close that Kari couldn't sit completely upright without hitting her head on the bottom of the beds above her. And the entire barracks was infested with fleas. Through a miracle, Corey had been able to smuggle a small Bible unseen into the barracks with them. When they were brought into Ravensbrook, all of these prisoners had to strip completely off. And what Carrie, uh, Betsy did was she put
put a, a, had a Bible tied on a little string, a little small pocket Bible, hung it behind her and said, Lord, please don't let the guards see it. And they didn't see it. The miracle of blinding their eyes. Now that they're in these barracks that's flea infested with hundreds of other women, they're holding Bible studies. One of the Bible studies, Betsy came to the point in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where it says to be thankful for all things. Then Betsy, uh, Corey Ten Boom said, Betsy, I am not going to be thankful for fleas. And a few days later, one of the prisoners noticed that the guards never came in and inspected these barracks. And someone asked, why don't you come in? And the guards say, we will not come in those barracks because of the fleas. God sent the fleas to give Corey and Betsy the freedom to study the Bible and share the gospel with people. Sometimes we misunderstand contemporary problems that turn out to be our salvation down the road. I think we are in a shaking of the church, a refining, and how we come through it will depend on what we're expecting. Do we praise God or do we just look where we're standing? Regardless of how dark circumstances seem, God is still in control. Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr. said, God takes lemons and makes lemonade if you let him. I love that. We need to repent of the frustrations and desperate attempts to control the outcome of things. Look to the Lord and trust him to work out everything to his good. Even more, I believe we should be praising him for his victory over the current situation even before we see a change. Praise, in my opinion, may very possibly be the purest form of faith. Praise is choosing to trust and believe in God to the point that we're thanking him in advance for what we cannot see in the moment. Because of his character, because he has never lied, because he has never failed, because he has never not fulfilled a promise that he made. How can we miss the consistency of a record like that? Sincere praise seems to release the power of the Lord in amazing ways, and that should not surprise us because every single thing you receive from the Lord, if you get it, you get it from him through faith. You are saved through faith. You come to repentance through faith. You get answers to your problems through faith. You get direction for the next step through faith. If we don't apply faith, we will not receive the promise. And if we do not receive the promise, that would be our choice, not God's fault. Regardless of politics, pandemics, and problems, I'm telling you this morning, God has got this. He will not fail. As I draw near to the end of the sermon, I'd like us for just a few moments to forget the noise and distractions and disappointments in our country, focus internally on our own soul. Whenever people stand still long enough and get quiet enough, they have to face themselves. And when we face them ourselves, we see who we are. Not the people we try to let other people see, but the people we really are, like a shadow in the back of our mind, even when we're awake. Who are we when no one's looking? Are we faithful? What are your hurts and fears? What keeps you awake at night and follows you throughout the day? Every single person in this room Every soul watching by live streaming has needs, issues, and problems. And my God has the answer to every single one of them. 
and I praise him for that. Some may be Christians who have gone off track somewhere and their life is confused and unsettled. Some of you may never have gotten the peace that you seek because you've never accepted the author of peace into your life. And that's Jesus Christ. And that only comes through salvation. We live in a fallen world. There will be difficulties that are spiritual, relational, emotional, financial, mentally, physical, others we won't even name. But there is peace to be had in only one place, and that's in Jesus. In a moment, I will pray and we'll go into our invitation, but I would encourage those of you at home, consider who you are. Don't play games with yourself this morning. You have either accepted Christ and have his peace, or you have not and you do not. And there is no other way to come to peace than through the Lord Jesus Christ. I would suggest that you receive him there. The Holy Spirit is wherever you're listening from, exactly like he's right here. God is not bound by boundaries. He is there. If you will invite Jesus into your heart, if you need that, he will answer you there. If you are a Christian that needs an answer from the Lord or deliverance in something, he is right there to answer you if you will kneel in faith in your heart. The position of your body has nothing to do with it. The position of your heart has everything to do with it. I will be praying here, and I'm going to come down, and just in case anybody else would like to come here to the front, I'll be down front. Pastor Mike will be playing after my, my prayer with the invitational song. And at the end, he will close us in prayer. Thank you all for listening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, remove me from the words that you gave me. Let your Holy Spirit move in power there, Father, whatever the need somebody has. First off, we pray for the salvation of people that do not know you yet. I pray for people both in the room and listening from wherever they may be, that they will hear you speaking to them. Forget me and hear the Holy Spirit. Move in power, Father, and do what you want in the hearts that are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.